Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.38 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the last day of the first quarter of 2022. This is episode 566 of Bitcoin and hold my beer. Terra is already up $165 million from buying Bitcoin as BTC Stash nears Tesla. Okay, guys, this is Terra's, this is going to be about Terra's Luna coin, all right? And I know it's a shit coin. It is. However, this is a substantial amount of liquid BTC that has been socked away by a company. And in my opinion, it matters. Luna still a shit coin. The US or UDC coin that they is it's still gonna be a shit coin. Okay. I'm not a proponent of any of this. But it is kind of important. But before we get to it, if you want to support the show, if you really must know, you can do it through Podcasting 2.0. It really is the only way to go. And you can do that through Fountain App. You can do it through uh, Sphinx Chat. And you can do it through the Breeze Wallet. And I think I might have said Blue Wallet yesterday. If I did, I apologize. Blue Wallet does not have podcasting 2.0 functionality, although it would be seriously cool as shit if it did, because I love me some blue wallet and it connects directly to my lightning node, which makes sense for podcasting 2.0, because if you use the fountain app, it's got a lightning wallet. And if you load it up with Satoshi's, you can stream me Satoshi's while I stream you these dulcet tones. And if you don't want to do it, if you don't want to learn lightning, uh, and you really should, this is our opportunity to figure all this stuff out before the big boys figure it all out. Um, if you don't want to do it, you can do it through Patreon. I do have a Fiat Legacy Financial System page up through patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. And if you don't want to do any of that, if I can get some of your time to give me a five-star review on Apple iTunes or any other place that you can review this podcast, that is super helpful and Although it's just as expensive when you think about it because you're giving over your time. And if you're going to write, <clears throat> you know, a five-star review, you've got to go to the, you've got to go to the website. You got to find the podcast. You got, you got to do all the things. So it, in my opinion, is every bit as expensive as, you know, streaming me Satoshi's or pledging $1 a month through patreon.com. And it is just as important. And honestly, I kind of think it's actually a little bit more important because every five-star review that I get on Apple uh, boosts my reach for this podcast and uh, telling your family and friends about it, you know, simply say, Hey, if you want to catch the Bitcoin news on a daily basis, go over to the Bitcoin and podcast and David will tell you all about it. So let's get back to this one. William Suberg is writing it for Cointelegraph. 
Bitcoin has already netted its biggest new buyer of almost $200 million in profit from price increases, as the data suggests. Analysis of the wallet related to the blockchain protocol Terra reveals that since it began amassing BTC in the first quarter of this year, that it is up $165 million. The Luna Foundation Guard, LFG, and honestly, that all that tells me is that they're capitalizing on the let's fucking go meme, but whatever. A nonprofit organization around Terra is currently following through on its plans to back the new Terra USD, which is UST, stablecoin, with both Bitcoin and its native Luna token. The plans were only revealed this month by Terra co-founder Du Quan, but the destination wallet of the funds have been active longer and saw significant inflow back in January. Since mid-March, buying has accelerated, and in just a few short weeks, LFG's balances passed 30,000 BTC. If that weren't impressive enough, Bitcoin's bull run, whether associated or not with Terra's purchases, has netted the organization 165 million bucks in circumstantial profits. Uh, at this week's three-month highs above 48,000, the tally hit $186 million. Countering criticism of Terra's plans uh, by Goldbug Peter Schiff, meanwhile, Quan appeared to deny the idea that such a large volume investment run could produce BTC price upside. Quote, if I was capable of moving BTC, it would not be fit as a reserve asset, he wrote as part of a Twitter debate with Schiff on Thursday. Schiff had argued that the aim of backing a United States dollar stablecoin with anything other than USD makes no sense. <laughs> Just Jesus. As Coingraph, Cointelegraph reported, Terra plans to buy a total of $10 billion worth of Bitcoin. This would make its holdings dwarf those of other well-known whale entities, including MicroStrategy, which currently has the world's largest corporate Bitcoin treasury of 125,051 BTC valued at $5.89 billion. While MicroStrategy plans to keep buying, there has been no such commitment from runner-up Tesla, which holds an estimated 43,200 BTC. LFG, it would appear, will soon outpace it. In terms of net profits, Tesla is up 1.36 times versus its initial purchase price, while MicroStrategy is up 1.6 times. Data from monitoring resource Bitcoin treasuries shows. So there you go. That's a substantial amount of Bitcoin, and that's why I'm tell uh, I'm 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 kind of breaking my own rule talking about shit coins here. Um, I am not excited about Luna. I am not excited about their stablecoin. Uh, stablecoins, I guess they have their place if you're a trader, but you know, that shit could be coming to an end pretty soon. I don't know. Will it? Probably not. But there will be massive regulations placed upon trading. And at that point, if you're using a vehicle such as the TerraCoin as a stablecoin or their UST or whatever they're going to call it, um, if you're going to use that, then it's going to kind of take, take up the mantle of those regulations as well. My advice, watch Terra watch Luna. Don't buy any. Okay. Just don't, let's see what they're going to do. All right. That's, that's my, that's my advice. I don't think that they're as good of an actor in the space as they say that they are, but time will tell, you know, not my opinion, not my gut feeling. Only time will truly tell if they don't do anything stupid or if they do do something stupid. Now, this one out of Bitcoin magazine 
It's a longer one because it's an opinion piece, so buckle up. Jimmy Song, writing this one named Bitcoin Exposes Monetary Aristocrats. VCs have great reputations. They are thoughtful visionaries that bring disruptive technologies to the masses through their capital. They are wise oracles that guide inexperienced startups to glory. They are hyper-competent winners that bring immeasurable value to their investors. This couldn't be further from reality. VCs act like entitled aristocrats. They expect you to kiss their rings, defer to them, and treat them as demigods of business. And what's worse, they believe their own hype. The first venture capitalist I ever met was Bob. I was 23, working at a startup founded by my high school friend. We were sitting around his disorganized kitchen table in a cruddy apartment slash office in Cambridge, Mass. Bob wore an expensive, custom-tailored yellow suit, shiny alligator boots, and an honest-to-God man purse. His presence made as much sense as Vitalik Buterin at a bodybuilding competition. Bob was a VC legend, though, and we wanted him to invest in our Series A. We sat there as he told us how he used to be a hippie, but discovered his true talent, investing. We politely listened as he told us stories of the companies he helped. We leaned in as he told us our strategy and widened our eyes as he told us about the music album he was working on. We made up for our modest circumstances with our attention like girls feigning interest in a rich guy's humble brags. We desperately wanted to impress him. We wanted him to see us as world-class investment, a jewel for his portfolio. He was the owner of a trendy nightclub and we put on our hoochie dresses to get in. We wanted access to his money his network, his world. This was the late 90s and the dot-com boom was in full swing. Meetings like this were common because VCs were pouring money into startups like a drunk guy buying Beanie Babies. We were a hot company, not because we had a lot of sales, but because we had the right story. My high school friend and founder of the company had graduated from Harvard. Of the eight employees, six had graduated from Harvard and one from Yale. I graduated from Michigan, making me the less attractive one that gets past the velvet rope because of the group that I'm with. A month after that awkward meeting in the kitchen, we closed our Series A round with investments from top-tier VCs, including Bob. VCs are monetary aristocrats. As ruthless and greedy as the banker in It's a Wonderful Life, yet they dodge criticism because they own the bank. Founders need the money. Journalists need their stories. Politicians need their lobbying. Rich people, the guys buying bottle service, need access to startups. <clears throat> they enjoy a good reputation, and everyone is afraid that their access will get cut off. They're also blissfully underwear, un, unaware of their narcissism. They really think that throwing around some money at Burning Man makes them artists. They think that doing DMT and Ashushka makes them spiritual. They think having read Frederick Nietzsche once makes them philosophers. Everyone humors them because no one wants to piss them off. Messing with monetary aristocrats is like puking in the VIP section. VCs talk to each other. You could easily be blackballed. They know the vomit smell will reduce demand for bottle service. Monetary aristocrats are the gatekeepers not just of money, but of reputations. That's why it's so rare to hear any criticism of VCs. Their power comes from being in between the rich people and the startups. 
our startup got into the club, but it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. We worked 80 hour weeks, did too many speculative deals and went in way too many directions. The company was unhealthily spending too much money for too little revenue while hiring too many people. We were being treated like all their portfolio companies, like pigs that needed to be fattened up before going to market. VCs don't care if some pigs die since the obscene profits from the ones that survive more than make up for the ones that don't. The VC's greed is coming back to bite them. Jack Dorsey called them out on their scamming of retail investors. They were always using the public markets to exit, but now they're scamming retail investors with altcoins, ICOs, IEOs, DeFi, NFTs, and Web3. These aren't businesses and tokens aren't equity. They're not even selling pork to the general public anymore, but some sort of industrial sludge masquerading as pork. VC firms have had an amazing 25 years. The returns on many of their funds have been obscene and they've gotten used to that lifestyle. Venture capital for many college graduates is the new investment banking, a place to make a lot of money doing less work. The problem is monetary aristocrats have been the nightclub owners for so long that they're willing to do whatever it takes to continue getting their returns. Who cares if the public gets screwed? Monetary aristocrats exist because of fiat money. New money is created all the time and that money has to go somewhere. Much of it finds its way to wealthy people who now need to deploy that money. After all, they don't want to keep it in cash since there will be even more money created shortly. The wealthy people deploy that money through investments, much of it going to VC funds. They have to go to the nightclubs if they want access. The monetary aristocrats determine the winners and losers with their money. They outspend rather than outcompete to win. This is, an unsus- this is as unsustainable as an aging supermodel's plastic surgery. As fiat money loses its power, so will the monetary aristocrats. Bitcoin is the decentralized alternative that will turn the lights on in the club. We'll soon find out that there's a lot of ugly drunk companies embarrassing themselves. We're seeing it already. You paid how much for a database pointer to a drooling chimp JPEG? Instead of going through the monetary aristocrats, startups can bootstrap with Bitcoin and go directly to market. Why go to a dark nightclub where everything costs too much when you can meet people on a normal date? Their competitors powered by VC money will get dismissing or diminishing returns on their money as Bitcoin price rises. No more of this weird debauchery and fakeness of nightclubs. No more narcissistic monetary aristocrats. I cannot wait for the lights to come on. So there you go. There's an opinion piece by Jimmy Song and I rather like it. Although I wish... I wish I knew what company he was uh, talking about when he was 23, 24 years old. Um, I didn't realize that he had been in the game that long. Anyway, so what's next? Ooh, 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 ooh. India. If you live in India and you trade crypto, get ready for 30% crypto tax because it becomes law in India following the finance bill's approval. Uh, Prashant Jha has it for Cointelegraph. The Indian finance bill of 2022 with new 30% crypto tax rules was approved by the Rajya Sabha, the upper house of the Indian parliament to make it a law today that will come into effect starting, you guessed it, tomorrow, April the 1st, April Fool's Day. The approval of the bill by the upper house of the parliament comes within a week of the lower house approval. 
The finance bill was introduced during the budget session of 2022 and 23 of the parliament in January. The finance bill amended tax rules to impose a 30% crypto tax on digital asset holdings and transfers. Apart from that, traders cannot offset their losses against profits and each trading pair will be considered independently for a tax deduction. If 30% tax was not regressive enough, the government also imposed a 1% tax deduction at source on each trade, claiming it would help them track the movement of funds. However, exchange operators have warned that the 1% TDS would dry up liquidity. The infamous bill has been scrutinized by various experts, traders, and exchange operators alike. However, the government decided to carry forward with its regressive approach without taking input from the stakeholders of the crypto ecosystem. Another reason for outrage from the crypto community is the fact that the new crypto tax has been heavily inspired by countries' gambling and horse betting tax rules. This signifies that the Indian government likens the crypto market to gambling. Well, they're not wrong. The new crypto tax policy in India was finalized and approved within two months. While the finance ministry is yet to offer a regulatory framework around the nascent market despite years of assurance, many crypto entrepreneurs in the country believe it would lead to a brain drain of talent and traders would eventually turn to decentralized exchanges and foreign platforms to conduct their crypto trade. Everyone is going to tax you. It, it, it's going to happen. There's no way around it. And that doesn't make tax good. I'm not actually purporting that. And in fact, oh God, should I do it? Let me see if I can find it. Cause this, while it's not directly related to that, what I just said, it's kind of related. Check out this. I should have made this a daily train wreck, but while I'm doing, well, maybe I can do it. Hold on. Let me see if I can uh, get this up. I found this tweet buried in a thread that knocked my socks off. Carl Ulrich, uh, that is at KT Ulrich, said this, we value longevity a lot, but from an expenditure perspective, seat belts are costly. Smoking reduces costs. Exercise is super expensive because it reduces all cause of mortality. The lowest cost members of society are probably chain smokers who love the sport of flying wingsuits. Are you freaking kidding me? The, the, the import of what was just said there is beyond the pale. It is no longer... It is no longer obscured or behind curtains the way these people feel about us. And let me see who this guy is, actually. Oh, he's a professor at Wharton. And he teaches and he researches and he practices innovation, entrepreneurship, and design. So, yeah, and he's a blue check. Okay, now he's actually referring to this um, tweet from... Well, from Robin Hansen that says, between ages of 65 and 84, we find that the expected value of the discounted sum of total Medicare expenditures is lower for smokers, mainly because of excess mortality. We find no evidence that cigarette smoking is a burden on Medicare. They no longer want you to stop smoking to be healthy. They know they, in fact, the, this language seems to suggest that we should encourage people to do shit that's bad for them, 
to drink, you know, excess alcohol, to smoke as many cigarettes as fucking possible, to, I don't know, jump out of a balloon in a, in a wingsuit or something like that so that you die faster, so that you're not a burden on society. Guys, this has now become glaringly transparent that these people hate you. They hate you so much, they are openly telling you they want you to die because if you don't die soon, you become an expense. In fact, you're already an expense. What they want to do is limit how much expense you represent to the system. Because by for the, this is the iron law of bureaucracy. And the iron law of bureaucracy basically means that no matter what the institution how small or how large, eventually the people that are in power of that institution only work for the survival of that institution and no longer work for the goals the institution was built to do. So now the system, whether it's Medicare or greater government that controls Medicare, what have you, the system is now fully under the control of people who only care about the system itself, not the mission of the system. The mission of Medicare was to give health care to people who can't afford it under various different ways. And now you're just nothing but a burden to that system. And this goes back to what, what, what we were just, kind of what we were just talking about. And that's the idea of tax, right? They are going to tax you. While you're alive, they are going to tax the shit out of you. So this, in in my opinion, this kind of causes a bit of a dichotomy here. Do you want to tax the cattle for as long as humanly possible? Or do you want the cattle to die sooner so that they're not an expense for the system that the system was put in place to support early on, but now the system only wants to support itself? And if so, what's the, at this point, people are literally running balance sheets on us. Is it, do we get more money from taxing, I don't know, whatever percent, let's just in this case of India, let's say 30% tax on your, whatever it is that you do, right? Whether you're trading crypto or maybe it's a sales tax, whatever it's a tax is a tax is a tax is a tax. Right. So is it, do we get more money from taxing you at 30% over the span of 85 years of life? Or do we get more taxing you until you're 50 and then you die? And I guarantee you somebody's gaming those numbers and it's sick because at that point they've lost all of their humanity. If somebody asks you to run those numbers, not only should you say, no, I will not run those numbers. I refuse to run those numbers you should look immediately for other employment. Don't quit first though, okay? Don't do that. Don't make the mistakes, mistakes that I've done. Don't quit your job first and then look for another one. Get another job while you're working that job and then, I don't know, lie to them. Tell them you'll have those numbers in you know four or five weeks and spend every waking minute trying to find another job with somebody else who isn't and hasn't lost all semblance of humanity. Okay. Just, just, just spitball in there, man, that's scary. Okay. Let's get back into the news.
Cointelegraph, <clears throat> Joseph Hall, U.S. Grassroots Adoption, the Bitcoin Lightning Party in Portland, Oregon. Oh, nice. There is a grassroots evidence that America is adopting Bitcoin, according to Clay Graham, founder of Rapayago and a Bitcoin Lightning Network enthusiast. At a Bitcoin Lightning Festival held in Portland, Oregon, over the weekend, the Bitcoin LN clocked more than $1,800 in just three hours. Hailed as Puddle Town on Lightning Rails, Portland's Bitcoin party was a space where vendors, food carts, artists, all accept Bitcoin. Graham told Cointelegraph that there was also a food, ca food cart pod that acted as a business attraction destination to Bitcoin fans who want a Bitcoin beach type experience. Sweet. Fiat money was, of course, not allowed. And popular Bitcoiner Dennis Porter emceed at the festival. In this tweet, he showed how easy it is to pay for goods using the LN. And of course, we've got a tweet here from Dennis Porter, which a video of him buying what appears to be a t-shirt. Graham told Cointelegraph that the event was judged to be a success if people could spend Bitcoin freely as they would fiat. In total, there were, quote, 50 people spending over 4 million sats in three hours, three food carts and seven vendors selling anything they want while even supporting use cases like tipping the DJ, end quote. Graham concluded that the Lightning Network made payments at the party a breeze. It was easier than cash, all cheaper than cards, and having tons of fun on a beautiful sunny day. A near-instant Layer 2 payment network built on top of the Bitcoin base chain, the Lightning Network is ideal for a party setting. Pubino, the company behind the Lightning Pour a Pint tool, was built <laughs> with festivals in mind, while LN Bits build open-source payment tools like split payment tools and offline solutions to make payments tech even smoother. Tiago Vascaleceros, co-founder of Acita Bitcoin and an LN Bits boss contributor, told Cointelegraph, quote, with the Lightning Network, the only thing you need is an internet connection. No card swipe hardware, no need for cash, no need for changing currency, even if the venue is international and with lots of foreign people, end quote. Built on the Lightning Network, LN Bits free open source solutions are closely competing with Visa and MasterCard. Vasconcelos adds that the network fees are near to zero or even zero and ultimately are paid by the customer, not the merchant. Plus, using LN reduces the cost and risks of using Visa or MasterCard, end quote. Ultimately, some Bitcoiners are even keen for scammers to learn about the LN and for Graham, quote, the Lightning Network is so fast and transactions can clear as fast as fast as faster than cards so both the buyer and the seller don't feel that where has my money gone feeling when they are just trying to have fun on a sunny day plus it's a payment network that supports artists people who make stuff with their own hands and small businesses and there's more of a local connection to money and money sovereignty because for the portland bitcoin party the nodes that routed payments for the ln are mostly made liquid in portland Following Portland's success, Graham added that Kansas City has already reached out on how to boilerplate this party using his company's solutions. Quote, remember that within a year of Bitcoin Beach, El Salvador announced legal tender. Now we can have Bitcoin Beach in every town. Holy shit. Ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> that story is probably worth reading twice, honestly.
because we're talking about boilerplating what they did at Bitcoin Beach all across the country. Oshi's doing it in Austin, Texas, and with uh, Pleb Labs involved. Um, oh God, the co- Bitcoin Commons is involved in all of that. And they're doing the same thing down in Austin. And they, they have street parties. They've had two so far. And everybody buys their drinks. And, th- and, and these aren't even at food carts, although food carts are there, but there are whole restaurants and bars that they go to that they set up to be able to accept Bitcoin payments, whether main chain or lightning, mostly lightning though. And they have a big party at these bars that are stand, you know, they are brick and mortar built up on the street stores. So this is happening more and more. And I hope this explodes. I can't imagine anything more fun than taking my blue wallet on my phone and going and buying a couple of freaking plebs tacos in downtown Austin. And I hope I get to do that very, very soon. But before we do that, let's run the numbers. CNBC.com futures of commodities breaking U.S. to release 1 million barrels of oil per day from the reserves to help cut gas prices. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, at one point or another, they're going to have to fill those reserves back up. This doesn't work the way they think it's going to work, but it doesn't matter right now because of that news. West Texas Intermediate is down 5% to $102.5 per barrel. Brent North Sea at 107.65 after a five over a 5% plunge. Natural gas, however, bucking the trend of 3.5% to the upside to $5.80. Gasoline is down 3% to $3.22 per gallon. Uh, gold rallying to the point to the tune of a quarter of a point, uh, $1,944. Silver is up likewise, but only 0.15% to 2515. Platinum is down one and a half. Copper is down a third and palladium is up 1.11%. Ag is mixed. And the biggest winner today is coffee at 2.5% to the upside. And the biggest loser is cotton 1.5% to the downside. Dow is down 0.19%. S&P is up 0.01. NASDAQ is up 0.1. S&P mini is up a quarter. Real money taking it on the chin a little bit today. I don't know exactly what happened. I was on a phone call for, you know, a couple of hours. And by the time I came out, I saw the BitMEX wrecked freaking Twitter account just lighting up my goddamn feed again. And I'm like, oh shit, what happened? And I, I don't know what happened. If you know what happened at roughly, you know, eight o'clock from the hours of eight o'clock to 10 o'clock AM, please, for the love of God, let me know. But we're at $46,437, uh, 263,000 transactions occurred in the last 24 hours. That's 10,900 transactions every hour on the hour with almost 1 million BTC being sent in that 24 hour period. That's 38,470 BTC on average every hour. Average transaction values are up a little bit, 3.5% BTC. Median transaction value holding at 0.013 BTC or about 600 bucks. Block times are a bit high, 10 minutes and 26 seconds. 
uh, 0.09 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 12.7 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Uh, apparently we hit a difficulty all-time high for mining. Uh, the hash rate doesn't uh, really reflect that just yet. It will later, uh, but we are 5.63% to the downside on hash rate, and we're under 200 to 193.2 exahashes per second. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is 0.141 United States dollars or 14.1 pennies. 22,217 transactions are waiting on 11 blocks to clear. So apparently there's quite a bit of trading going on right now. Market capitalization is at $885.3 billion, which is 6.94% of gold's market cap. If you so choose, you may buy 24 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin of war, which there are 18,998,829.6 and 3,628 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $169.1 million, being run over 19,766 nodes, sporting 84,953 payment channels that we see, and 75.1% of all of that is run over Tor and the associated 11,675 nodes. So there you go. Uh, that's gonna do it for bottles. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. And in this one, we're going to start with a piece from Greg Foss and Jason Sansone, who's writing a, this is an installment uh, in their Bitcoin portfolio insurance stuff, but there's a lot of neat stuff about BTC valuation models in this. So it's in aptly named Bitcoin Pro, uh, portfolio insurance, BTC valuation models. And let's start right here. Uh, let's state five foundational principles that underlie the thesis. One, Bitcoin equals math plus code, and that equals truth. Never bet against open source platforms. Money has always been technology for making our expenditure of work, energy, time today available for consumption tomorrow. Bitcoin is programmable monetary energy, a store of value transferable on the world's most powerful computer network. And finally, fiats are programmed to debase. Value method number one, the Fulcrum Index. I believe that Bitcoin is the anti-fiat. As such, it can be thought of as a default insurance on a basket of sovereign fiat currencies. This concept has a value that is fairly easily computed. We have coined this calculation, the Fulcrum Index, and it indicates the cumulative value of credit default swaps insurance on a basket of G20 sovereign nations multiplied by their respective funded and unfunded obligations. This dynamic calculation forms the basis of one current valuation method for Bitcoin. Why is Bitcoin the anti-fiat? Put simply, it can't be debased. The absolute supply is fixed forever. This is the exact opposite of the current global fiat currency regime. How then can it be considered default insurance on a basket of sovereign currencies? Foundationally, insurance contract value increases as risk increases and credit risk increases as fiat printing continues. Let's use the United States as a sample calculation. The federal government has over $30 trillion in outstanding debt. <laughs> Makes me cough every time I 
read that. According to usdebtclock.org, at the time of writing, it also has $164 trillion of unfunded liabilities in Medicare and Medicaid obligations. Thus, the total of funded and unfunded obligations is $194 trillion with a T dollars. This is the amount of fiat that needs to be insured in the event of a default. At the time of writing, the five-year CDS, credit default swaps, premium for the United States is priced at 0.12%, or 12 basis points. Multiplying this by the total debt obligations of $194 trillion, one arrives at the value of CDS default insurance at $232 billion. In other words, based upon data from the CDS market, that is the amount of fiat that the cumulative total of global investors would need to spend to buy default protection on the United States over the next five years. In five years, CDS premia widened to 30 basis points to match Canada at the time of writing, and the value increases to $570 billion. Note, this calculation uses a fixed five-year term. That said, the outstanding weighted average obligation is longer than five years due to Medicare and Medicaid, and consequently, we have decided to extrapolate to a term of 20 years. Using a tenor calculation, the implied 20-year CDS premium for the United States is 65 basis points. In other words, just using the U.S. as one component in the G20 basket, we have a valuation of $194 trillion multiplied by 65 basis points, and that equals $1.26 trillion. If we now expand to a broader view, our calculation of the current G20 fulcrum index is over $4.5 trillion regardless. By this methodology, a fair value for Bitcoin is about $215,000 per Bitcoin today. Note, this is a dynamic calculation. It is somewhat subjective, but it is based upon valid benchmarks using other clearly observed CDS markets. At the current price of approximately 40000 per Bitcoin, the Fulcrum Index would indicate that Bitcoin is very cheap to fair value. As such, given that every fixed income portfolio is exposed to sovereign default risk, it would make sense for every fixed income investor to own Bitcoin as default insurance on that portfolio. It is my contention that as sovereign CDS premia increase, reflecting increased default risk, the intrinsic value of Bitcoin will increase. This will be the dynamic that allows the Fulcrum Index to continually revalue Bitcoin. Valuation method number two, Bitcoin versus physical gold. Bitcoin has been called, called gold 2.0 by some. The argument for this is beyond the scope of this article. Regardless, the market capitalization of physical gold is approximately $10 trillion. If we divide that amount by the 21 million hard cap supply of Bitcoin, the result is about $475,000 per Bitcoin. Valuation method number three, Bitcoin as a percentage of global assets. According to my recollection, the Institute for Interna International Finance estimated the level of global financial assets in 2017, including real estate, to be $900 trillion. If Bitcoin were to capture 5% of that market, we could calculate $45 trillion divided by 21 million to find a value of $2.14 million per Bitcoin at today's dollars. 
At 10% market share, it is over $4 million per Bitcoin. Valuation method number four, expected value analysis. On an expected value basis, Bitcoin is also cheap. And with each day that the Bitcoin network survives, the left-hand side towards zero of the probability distribution continues to decrease while the right-hand side asymmetry is maintained. Let's do a simple analysis using the numbers calculated above. We will formulate a distribution that has only five outcomes with arbitrarily assigned probabilities. So here we go. There, it, this is a small table. Uh, across the top is we're going to be reading about the valuation method of the thing, the approximate valuation, and the probability of it. Bitcoin failure, approximate valuation, $0 per Bitcoin. Probability, 75%. Fulcrum index, $215,000 per Bitcoin with a probability of 15%. Bitcoin versus physical gold, $475,000 per Bitcoin at a 7% probability. 5% of global assets is $2.1 million per Bitcoin at a 2% probability. And the 10% of global assets number comes in at $4.3 million per Bitcoin with a probability of 1%. The expected value outcome from this example is over $150,000 per Bitcoin. Given recent price levels of Bitcoin, if you believe this to be aligned with your expected value calculation, you would be buying with both hands. Of course, there is no certainty that I am right, and this is not financial advice to run out and buy Bitcoin. I am simply presenting a valuation methodology that has served me well in my 32-year career. Do your own research. For the record, my base case is substantially higher than this, as I believe there is a real chance Bitcoin becomes the reserve asset of the global economy. The tipping point for that event is when Bitcoin is adopted as a global unit of account for the trade of energy products. I believe it is logical for countries who are selling their valuable energy resources in return for worthless fiat to move from the US dollar to Bitcoin. Interestingly enough, Henry Ford foreshadowed this when he declared long ago that he would displace gold as the basis of currency and substitute in its place the world's imperishable natural wealth. Ford was a Bitcoiner before Bitcoin existed. Digital monetary energy stored in the world's largest and most secure computer network in return for energy to power electrical grids across the globe is a natural evolution built upon the first law of thermodynamics, the conservation of energy. In conclusion, these are huge numbers. And they clearly show the asymmetric return possibilities of the Bitcoin price curve. In reality, the probability over price distribution is continuous, bounded at zero with a very long tail to the right. Given its asymmetric return distribution, I believe it is riskier to have zero exposure to Bitcoin than it is to have a 5% portfolio position. If you are not long Bitcoin, then you are irresponsibly short. If you are a fixed income investor today, the math is not in your favor. The current yield to maturity on the high yield index is approximately 5.5%. If you factor in expected and unexpected losses due to default, add in a management expense ratio, and then account for inflation, you're left with a negative real return. Put simply, you are not earning an appropriate return on your risk. The high yield bond market is headed for a major reckoning. And don't overthink this though. Lower your time preference. 
Bitcoin is the purest form of monetary energy and, and is portfolio insurance for all fixed income investors. In my opinion, it is cheap on most rational expected value outcomes. But again, you can never be 100% certain. The only things that are certain is death, taxes, ongoing fiat debasement, and a fixed supply of 21 million Bitcoin. Study the math, people, or end up playing stupid games and winning stupid prices. Risk happens fast, and Bitcoin is the hedge. In epilogue, it would seem that everyone should understand the basics of credit-based monetary systems upon which our governments and countries run. If we are to uphold the ideals of a democratic republic, as Lincoln declared, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, then we must demand transparency and integrity from those among us whom we have selected as leaders. This is our duty as citizens to hold our leadership accountable. But we can't do that if we don't understand what it is that they are doing in the first place. Indeed, financial literacy is severely lacking in the world today, and sadly, it would appear that this is by design. Our public education systems have 12 years to teach and thus empower us to think critically and question the status quo. It is through this process of societal empowerment that we strive for and collectively achieve a better future. Yet, this is the same process by which we, we remove the centrality of power, and that, make no mistake, is a threat to those who sit atop the system. Often, this power is concentrated in the hands of a select few, and it stays that way due to a knowledge disparity. Thus, we find it tragic that an article such as this even needs to be written. Perhaps, though, the greatest gift Satoshi gave the world was to reignite the fire of curiosity and critical thought within all of us. This is why we Bitcoin. Okay, that last paragraph in the epilogue here is fire. Absolute fire. Because he talks of the knowledge disparity. Often, this power is concentrated in the hands of a select few and it stays that way due to a knowledge disparity. We find it tragic that an article such as this even needs to be written. And I'm going to stop right there because without Greg Foss and people like him constantly writing shit that two years ago I would have had no hope of understanding is the reason that I can almost grasp what he's talking about today. And it's going to take a long time for me and the rest of us to come up to speed. Thank you, Greg Foss. I really, really do appreciate the time that you are spending, and I don't think it's tragic. Well, okay, we are going to agree. Yeah, it's fucking tragic that I didn't get this shit out of high school. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly surprised that I would ever find myself in a position where thinking that you know bond yield inverse curves and real value, you know stuff and what 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 how to value you know valuation models that I would be I'm very surprised that anybody would expect that to come out of high schools and that's the tragedy we don't expect it to come out of high schools do we but think about what would happen if we did what if your economics teacher was actually good when you were you know a sophomore junior senior in high school and fired the imagination of what was possible. Bitcoin does this. And this is why I Bitcoin too. Thank you, Greg. Bitcoin miner clean spark to add 500 megawatts of mining power and expand into Texas. 
Stacy Elliott has it for decrypt.co. CleanSpark, a Nevada-based software and Bitcoin mining company, is adding up to 500 megawatts of mining power to its operations through an agreement with Texas energy company Lancium. The mining company, which trades on NASDAQ under the CLSK ticker, expects to have 50 megawatts of its Texas expansion operational by the end of this year and another 150 megawatts up and running by spring of 2023. The agreement includes the option to add another 300 megawatts, but there are no exact dates for when this power will be deployed. The expansion into Texas, which includes adding two, wait, no, 20,000 Bitmain S19 mining rigs to its already existing 22,000 miners, will eventually bring CleanSparks mining capacity to 20 exahashes per second or 20 million terahashes per second. Exahashes per second is used as a measure of how much computational power is used within a blockchain network. The total hash rate for the entire Bitcoin network, for example, is currently 203.9 million terahashes per second or 203.9 exahashes per second. So, though CleanSparks expansion does represent a tenfold increase in its capacity since February, it only makes up a portion of the entire Bitcoin network's mining activity. Quote, this move is in keeping with our strategy of focusing on infrastructure first. We continue to build more capacity at our own Bitcoin mining facilities while we partner with co-location service providers. This hybrid approach helps us ensure that we always have rack space ready to deploy new machines when they are delivered to us by the manufacturers, said CleanSpark CEO Zach Bradford. The company also maintains two mining facilities in Georgia and is co-located at the CoinMint facility, formerly an Alcoa aluminum smelter in Messina, New York. The move into Texas makes it one of the growing numbers of crypto mining businesses to set up operations in the state. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has made attracting more Bitcoin companies a major part of his re-election campaign, and it's not just miners that he's eyeing. Quote, Texas will be a crypto leader. God damn it, Greg, stop. Anyway, he wrote that on Twitter last year. Quote, HEB is putting cryptocurrency kiosks into some Texas grocery stores. End quote. But the miners have attracted the majority of attention, and in some cases, ire, because they'll put more demands on the state's energy grid. BitDeer, a spinoff of the Chinese miner Bitmain, Riot Blockchain, and UK-based Argo Blockchain have already set up operations in Texas. Abbott has suggested that bringing more miners into the state will attract energy companies to build power plants to meet the demand. That's a big bet though, especially after an ice storm last year froze power plants and forced Bitcoin miners to shut down. So getting energy to homes and businesses could be prioritized. Yeah, there was a little bit of uh, uh, grandstanding on the on that whole uh, shutting down the Bitcoin miners because it was, as far as I can tell, they were like, we're going to do this of our own volition. You know, you can thank us later or some shit like that. It's sort of like getting when you're on Twitter and, and you've got like over a thousand followers and you start getting weird people in your DMs that say, join the chat, you'll thank me later. And then they give you a Telegram chat link. It's sort of like that. So at first I was kind of happy about it, but the, the more I kind of thought about it, the more I was like going, dude, just don't tell anybody. Just shut down the power. Do the good thing, whatever. Anyway, Russian sanctions up next in the news. Gita, oh no, not Gita. We'll get to him in it later. Amitaj Singh is writing this for Coindesk. Russian sanctions could spur use of crypto, says the IMF's Gopinath. 
So there we go. There's where GoPenath comes in. A top international monetary fund official called for international regulation of digital finance, predicting, quote, the adoption of digital finance from cryptocurrencies to stablecoins and central bank digital currencies following the unprecedented sanctions on Russia after its invasion of Ukraine. Gita Gopinath, the first deputy managing director at the IMF, made the comments in an interview with the Financial Times published today, this is Thursday, Gopinath said that all of these will get even greater attention following the recent episodes, which draws us to the question of international regulation. She advocated for a coordinated approach to fill a gap in international regulation. Measures imposed by Western countries on Russia could encourage the emergence of small currency blocks based on trade between separate groups of country. Oh my God, you mean circular economies that are self-dependent we can't have that can we good these people hate you they don't like you and every time i hear somebody defend any one of these people it's like nails on a chalkboard because i'm like why are you defending them they hate you and they want you to die whatever. While the dollar may become less dominant in the international financial system, it will remain the major global currency, even if fragmented, according to Gopinath. Gopinath's comments reiterate the stance taken by the IMF last year when it outlined the need for a global approach to crypto regulation. A blog post from December stated the need for a comprehensive, consistent, coordinated approach in order to harness the benefits of crypto's underlying technology while mitigating some of the risks. Okay, that was a bullshit statement, but Essentially, what this is telling you is that they're scared that, God forbid, somebody somewhere is going to figure it out and start using Bitcoin. And then after that, another person is going to use Bitcoin. And then they're going to start trading Bitcoin between themselves for goods and services. And then a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, there's going to be 12, 24, 36 people that join in. And all of a sudden, you've got a mini circular economy. And they really don't want to see that. There's no, you can't control millions and millions of circular economies and some of them are connected to other circular economies. You can't regulate that. But that's the natural state. That's what nature wants. If you think that economies are constructs of humans and by humans only, you are wrong. They are part of an ecology. There's a woman whose book I have on my book list, if you want to read about soil, it's my pinned tweet. I've got 47 books up there, and I can't remember the, the woman's name, but the book's name is For the Love of Soil. And she is actually going to start holding a webinar very soon about her thoughts as an agroecologist about the ecology of money. Even the, even the ag guys, they actually, the ag guys have been more economists than you've known for longer than you've thought, but be that as it may, it's starting to filter down into the people that deal directly with the soil. And they're starting to look at money as an ecology, and rightly so, because this shit wasn't invented by humans. As humans walked upon the face of the planet and they saw things, it programmed us to start thinking in certain ways as we started evolving from, I don't know, a tree sloth into the humans that we are now. And for those of you who hate Darwin and evolutionary theory, I get you. I feel your pain. I believe in God, but I believe that God works through the creation of evolution, which God created, because it makes sense. If everything that God created happened all at once, 
throughout the history of time, it would all just go by in a blink of an eye, wouldn't it? There'd be no fun. So I think God created evolution to basically roll out God's plan for creation across millions and billions and trillions of years. Okay, so that's where, why I can talk about evolution and not have a problem with the whole, oh, well, you must not believe in God. Of course I believe in God. Although I do wish the dude would send somebody like Gabriel to bitch slap the hell out of a whole bunch of people, but I think that's actually our job. And maybe Kraken's. No, okay. I'm sorry for the hyperbole. I'm just trying to segue into this one. Kraken Exchange integrates Bitcoin Lightning Network. Holy smokes, Nomsios writing it for Bitcoin Magazine. Cryptocurrency exchange Kraken now supports Bitcoin Lightning Network for inexpensive and instant customer transfers, uh, deposits, and withdrawals of BTC, the company said in a statement sent to Bitcoin Magazine. Adoption is going to come from people who have fiat in their bank accounts and they need to get it into Bitcoin. Pierre Rochard, Bitcoin product manager at Kraken, told Bitcoin Magazine, quote, Kraken is providing an excellent venue for them to do that. And then they can top up their mobile lightning wallet and use it as a medium of exchange. That's clearly the next step in terms of Bitcoin's valuation. And I just looked over at the clock, ladies and gentlemen, I have to cut this short because my wife needs the office. but Kraken integrated the Lightning Network, finally, finally. And like I said, I have to cut this short, so I'm gonna go ahead and end it right here. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.